Episode 656 of the John Lester Pickoff Attempt and Ryan Webb Transaction Podcast, formerly known as Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Yo, how are you? Ready to prease our topics from yesterday for a moment? We do we do have a an actual podcast planned. It's going to be a crossover podcast with the Tino There Is No Offseason BP podcast crew, all four of them. We are going to have six people on this podcast somehow. It's a clown car of a podcast. We're going to see how it works. We're going to talk about breakouts. But before that, we should talk about, well, we can get Webb out of the way. So Webb signed with the Indians. He went to AAA. So that's Webb. So now we can we can close the books though on the uh, the valuation of that draft pick. I mean, if the Dodgers released him after he accepted an outright, mm. then that means that there was essentially like no in, no no inclination to have him. He mm. was strictly a salary that they took on in order to get the seventy fourth pick, and um, they gave up a couple of bit pieces to do that. But I mean, I think we can basically say that they value the seventy fourth pick in the draft. At roughly three million dollars, uh-huh. so, which is more than I thought. Because uh, once you get past what, once you get past twenty-five or thirty, I think most people have shown that. Well, yeah, you can you can land a star, but it's a very low hit rate. Let's see. There's an Andrew Ball posted beyond the box score. How valuable are draft picks? There's a tier for sixty-one to one hundred prospects, and that is not much. That is, uh, so those are competitive balance picks, and the average value there is $1.32 million. Uh-huh. Well, we don't even need to look at these things. <laughs> no, because we know. The Dodgers, no, the Dodgers have told us. That's yeah. the point. Uh-huh. That's the point, is that they've, like, they've, they've, they've told us. This is the correct answer, I think. <laughs> we can just go with that. Okay. 74th pick. $3 million. is worth $3 million to have the 74th pick. I'm going to see who the best player ever if, drafted. If you're me. the Dodgers. If you're the Dodgers. Uh, right, yeah, if you're the Dodgers. Yeah, which might might change things quite a bit. Uh-huh. All right, what next? All right, so Lester. So we talked about Lester a lot yesterday. We talked about what would happen when Billy Hamilton started against him. Seventy fourth, seventy fourth picks throughout history. Incidentally, mm-hmm. Greg Nettles, hmm. Hall of Fame cusp. Yeah, David Cohn, David Cohn. Wow, borderline Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it drops. Uh, Jim Clancy, twenty wins. Dan Petrie, seventeen wins. John Jay, eleven and counting. Tyler Chatwood, uh, Daniel Norris. Uh, so there's some names here. Jesse Foppert <laughs> uh, was seventy. Whatever I said. Okay. So, all right. Right. Go ahead. So Hamilton didn't start, and that was a pregame letdown because we had drummed everyone up into a fervor looking forward to what would happen when Hamilton was on base against Leicester. That didn't happen. 
But the <laughs> 73rd, by the way, 73rd, there's only been one player in history who had more than five wins who was drafted 73rd. So 74th has been a flukily high uh, value pick. The Dodgers knew that. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Let down, and then and then it wasn't <laughs> let down because he threw it. You tell the story. Everybody knows the story, Ben. Just tell the story quickly. Everyone knows it. Go ahead. <laughs> he threw to first he base. Threw to, he threw, a, threw a pickoff attempt. It was wide. Then he threw a pickoff attempt about three first basemen wide. It and was really far off. It and was very far, and it rolled so. all the way to the wall. And Cozart came around and went to third and was thrown out at third. So there was an out recorded on the pickoff attempt, but it confirmed what we imagine were Lester's fears or the Cubs' fears. It was it was not pleasant to watch, <laughs> I wouldn't I... say. I wondered whether uh, there is. I wondered whether there would whether there were players in Major League Baseball who would not run on John Lester out of sympathy. Yeah. Like I don't know if there are or not. I assume that there's not, but I wonder. I wondered if like Brandon Phillips was going to be cool about it, and and then Brandon Phillips did not look like he was cool. He looked like he was incapable of taking advantage of this. He almost got picked off uh, by the catcher on a back pick, and then he kind of got caught in between uh of wanting to go but not going and he just seemed flat-footed some of the time and so no no more steal attempts after that and no more pickoff throws after that mm-hmm. so it does seem like if you take away if you take away a player's ability to do something fundamental it does take a while for everybody on the field to know how to act this is mm-hmm. the kind of the equivalent of the and there is there is one stolen base the the, the jay bruce stolen base off, Before of, that, off yeah. of lester yeah this is kind of the equivalent of you're playing poker and the guy comes who is just learning the rules and he is both the fish and the most dangerous man at the table mm-hmm. and that's kind of john lester right now like and nobody's taking full advantage of it quite yet but okay i have a question for you ben okay if you were a major league ball player, what would you want your yip to be? Like, you could, <laughs> like what would be the least damaging yip that you could have? Um, and, and like, it would be a vis- It has to be a visible yip that everyone could see. It can't be like, oh, you know, like when I, uh, I don't know, something that nobody would see. <laughs> throwing around the horn. Oh, that's a good one. Throwing around the horn, and every single time you <laughs> shuck it in the stands, doesn't hurt I you. Gonna, I was gonna say. Uh, discarding a bat after a, a walk you know like <laughs> you just sort of like you can't release it like it's always sticking to your hand and like <laughs> it sort of goes toward the pitcher sometimes mm-hmm. i feel like like that's a conceivable yip that we would gif and that would not uh hurt your game mm-hmm. yeah so uh so this was it was were you uncomfortable watching this i was kind of uncomfortable watching this like when we when we when we talked about it, I was not uncomfortable talking about it because we hadn't seen him do the thing yet. So it was this kind of weird, goofy thing where he wasn't going to throw over there ever. And it was just strange. But now we saw him throw over there. And now we know why he's not throwing over there. He can't throw over there. And it's, I mean, I don't know, it's kind of uncomfortable to watch someone try and fail to do something. I, I was not uncomfortable. If, he were, if, his, if it were pitching... And and I were having to watch him do it a hundred times in a row, and they were all wild pitches and hitting people in the eye. That would make me very uncomfortable. This is just curious. I'm until it becomes, as long as it's not career threatening, mm-hmm. uh, 
then I'm not uncomfortable at all. I want to see where it goes. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, but where, what if where it goes is more generalized? Yips. I mean, I have no idea whether whether there's so, so carry over there. No one knows so, how these the man, things work. Look, the man has had a very good career. It's no, losing to the yips is no worse than losing to a bum shoulder. Got lots of money coming to him, yips or not. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I tend to to feel sympathy toward humans, but in this case, I am not, <laughs> not right now. No, I'm not remotely there. Like, not even close to there. I want to see it, and I don't know. I'm still thinking about that interview he did. <laughs> what was it like? Why doesn't he just say like, you know, I just don't want to talk about it. I'm working on some things. I it'll get sorted out. How come he had to go like acting like these people who were doing their job? I mean, if we want to talk about people doing their jobs, those guys were just asking questions for their job. And he's like, you're haters. You're blowing this out of proportion. You're doing your job bad. They're not. Mm -hmm. Just say, I'm working on some things, guys. Uh, I know it looks funny. Uh, You'll probably be surprised by what I do tomorrow. Instead, it was like, oh, how about those idiots in Boston? They can't, you know, they're terrible reporters. And how about you idiots blowing it out of proportion? How about the idiots on TV? who are turning a mountain into a molehill or the other way around. Molehill into a mountain. I don't know. I'm just not feeling that sympathetic toward him right now. He'll the, figure it out anyway. He's probably going to figure it out. He'll probably figure it out by tomorrow. I wonder what people asked him after the game or what he said. Yeah, I guess. All right, and one last thing. Uh, everybody should go sign up for Hacking Mass, which is the uh, anti-fantasy league or anti-fantasy sport uh, that we run each year on Baseball Prospectus. You pick the worst team you can pick. We give you all the options at each position. All you do is pick the guy who's going to get the most playing time with the least production. Uh, and if you win, you get uh, this year the prize is Tim McCarver singing uh, American Standards, I believe, the CD that is somehow uh, allowed to be sold <laughs> on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can go to Baseball Prospectus. You probably can just control F hacking uh, and find it on the page somewhere. But if you can't, uh, on, under the Fantasy tab, there's an option. And so... That's real simple. It's fun. It's easy. Uh, and um, you can uh, beat me. So it'll fill the hole left in your life by the lack of a relievers only league this year. Okay. So that concludes the banter portion of this podcast. And now we are going to welcome in four people from Baseball Prospectus. You're going to hear all of us at once. All right. So now we're going to go to the uh, to the guest portion of the show. And this is going to be a disaster. We have four guests as well as the two of us. There are six of us here. The guests are Ben Carsley, Brett Sayre, Craig Goldstein, Mauricio Rubio. They together are the There Is No Off-Season podcast, which is a baseball prospectus, and which is, for my money, the best podcast devoted exclusively to keeper leagues. Uh, how are you guys? Good. In- individually. I want to hear how each of you is. <laughs> uh, at once. All at the same time. On three. How are you guys? One, two, three. Bad. Craig, my, my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so, my, my Skype screen looks like the Brady Bunch credits. <laughs> so Does that mean Craig Jan? <laughs> so the reason that we have the four of them here uh, is because uh, I wanted to talk about breakouts and about the philosophy of breakouts and the nature of breakouts and primarily the nature of breakout predictions because this is the time of year when everybody is writing about their breakout candidates uh, for 2015, even at Baseball Prospectus, even at base, especially at Baseball Prospectus. On Friday, we had um, a, uh, a staff uh, contribu- contributed lineup card uh, on a- breakout candidates. 
And some of the names were like Xander Bogarts and Mike Zanino and Manny Machado and guys who uh, you might think are really good already. Um, and so, so that maybe that's part of it is that you sometimes breakouts are just guys who are already really good. And so anyway, breakouts are a very tricky thing. Ben and I, I think, are, are always uh, worried that we're going to be asked to name a breakout because we don't know uh, how to do it. And so I wanted to, uh, to talk to people who are experts at naming breakout players or perhaps experts at getting out of the obligation to name breakout players and find out what they look for uh, in a breakout candidate or, um, or whether they do. So uh, you guys have a, a, a routine at your podcast that makes it manageable where, where there are four of you, but you take turns and then you, you, you sort of pass the ball to the next person. So one of you will talk and then say, Brett, and then Brett will talk. So you guys want to do that? Do you feel like doing that or do you just want to talk over each other and we can edit as we go oh shoot i need to ask one of you to talk to answer that uh, ben ben carsley what do you how should we do this uh yeah well usually what i would do is just keep talking to buy time and then eventually kick it out to brett or craig so i'm uh-huh. very comfortable doing that all right so i'm gonna just start i'm gonna ask you ben and then you can figure out who you want to to kick it to okay so ben guy ben carsley guy comes up to you and says Dude, I need some breakouts. I need some sleepers. Sleeper is another word for breakout, by the way. I need some sleepers. I've got my draft tonight. Uh, what do you tell them? So that's a, it's an interesting question, mostly because where we come from, I think a lot of this has to do with holding on to what we know about a player from his scouting profile, uh, perhaps sometimes even a little longer than we should. But what happens to me a lot of times in this scenario is, you know, I'm often still on someone's sleeper from the year before, sort of a a post-hype prospect, if you will. Uh, And I'll get a lot of looks like, no, 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 I I saw him last year and he wasn't very good or he was just pedestrian. You know, I don't want to hear about uh, Xander Bogarts anymore. I want to hear about Chris Bryant. But I am generally the one who uh, is still on Xander Bogarts because I recognize that uh, despite what some players would have us believe, these things generally take time. Uh, but Brett, considering this is a tricky question, uh, on Tino, I would generally kick it out to you at this point. So why don't you pick me up? Yeah, the, there's there there's just so many ways you can go with it. There, you know, there are the um, you know the obvious types like like you touched on before with you know Xander Bogarts and and Manny Machado's guys who have uh, elite prospect profiles who just haven't you know become superstars immediately like you know, every other uh, guy with an elite prospect profile, except for Ryan Braun and Albert Pujols. But the other there, you know, there, there are different classes of guys. There's your, there's sort of the, that next level of prospect who, uh, who never quite did anything, but is, is just way lower down on, on that list. And you have a couple of guys, guys this year who are, who are off to hot starts that fall into that category, guys who were never elite prospects, but, you know, re- really good prospects uh, in in that space, and the, the two guys I'm I'm thinking of specifically are, are Anthony Ghost and Jake Marisnik. So it it really depends on how you really depends on how you de- how you define it, and uh, and and whether you whether you attach uh, a lot of importance to the prospect profile, because there's there's certainly no shortage of of breakout guys and sleeper guys who. Uh, who surprise us all and then have to keep surprising us in order to make everyone believe like, you know, a lot of JD Martinez, who, um, who's 
also off to a strong start this year. So uh, this is the point where I will uh, stop talking and kick it out to Craig. So uh, Craig, what are your what are your thoughts? When someone asks me for sleepers, I generally panic and everything I know goes out the window. But aside in terms of identifying breakouts or, or kind of figuring out if those guys who have broken out are are to be believed. I mean, that that's kind of what we're talking about here is identifying a small sample performance and then, you know, projecting it out the rest of the year and seeing whether it's something that can hold or even if it if there's a little bit of attrition in terms of performance that that the overall uh, production is still going to be worthwhile. And I think, you know, you talk about someone like J.D. Martinez. I think that's a an interesting guy to pick out because he's someone similar to Ben Zobrist once upon a time who had kind of a complete swing overhaul and changed his swing and all of a sudden starts producing. Uh, Jose Batista falls into that camp as well. And, you know, so you look at a guy like that who – they've reported on something that's actually changed and the results are to follow. And it's a little more believable that those things could be true. Um, Whether they'll continue is another matter. Um, You know, whether the league reacts to them and they're able to adjust back again. Uh, But in general, you know, when there's a mechanical change or for pitchers, I like to use if they've added another pitch and you can see it's it's tangibly good. Um, my example tends to be Jake Odorizzi and the split change from last year. He went from a guy who didn't have a strikeout pitch to someone who struck out 24% of batters he faced over the whole year. Um, and that was believable because he added, he added a new pitch. He learned from a, a teammate and, you know, all of a sudden he was, he had something that he could miss bats with. So it was a little easier to buy into the, into the production. Mao, is there something that something else that you identify? Yeah, I think that the overarching theme that you heard uh, from all three of my my teammates at Tino is that there's there's all sorts of different ways to try to pick out a, a breakout player. And kind of one of the extra wrinkles that I would add in there is that coaching and organizational philosophy is kind of something that I also look at. Uh, you you can look at the Cleveland Indians and what they've done, not just with Corey Kluber and, and the work that Mickey Calloway, their pitching coach, has done with him, but also Michael Brantley showed up and he just started hitting out of nowhere. Jan Gomes goes there and he's, you know, he just basically appears out of thin air for them. He's, he really starts producing for them at a pretty high level. So, you know, a, along with kind of looking at these post-hype prospect guys and and looking at guys who are adding pitches, like the, the changeup is a very popular pitch for pitchers who end up breaking out. Like, you know, when you, just to look at it from a pitching-specific perspective, like when you're looking at someone who you think can break out, one of the key things that I look for is two breaking balls and a solid fastball. Because, you know, like Jake Odorizzi, it's much easier to learn the changeup than it is to learn, uh, you know, a second breaking ball to learn a curveball. That like those things just don't necessarily happen. But if you have a solid base like that to work with, where you have a fastball and you have the two breaking balls, and you add in the changeup, well, then all of a sudden, all sorts of exciting things start to happen for your prospect stock. But you know, uh, JD Martinez, and it's interesting that you bring up Anthony Ghost there, Brett, because Martinez and Ghost are, you know, in the same organization. They've, their offense is, is doing all sorts of wonderful things right now. So, um, yeah, I think organizational philosophy, uh, coaching is very important when you're looking at breakouts. And, you know, that just kind of dovetails in with everything that, uh, that my guys have said. So, Craig, you mentioned two guys, um, and one of them was JD Martinez. And you point out that, there is a reason to believe that what he did last year was real, but last year was his breakout, right? And there wasn't necessarily a reason to believe before the breakout that his breakout was impending. He had a new swing, but like there are 500 new swing stories every spring. 
Uh, and, um, you know, nobody was, so far as I know, really hyping J.D. Martinez until uh, the statistics backed up the breakout thing. Um, and so I wonder, like, where the line is for J.D. Martinez, where he goes from being a guy who's hitting to a guy you believe in and is, is uh, sorry, who's hitting and you don't really believe in him to then he's hitting and you do really believe in him. Is there like a is the one day in between that the transition between is that the day that you get to claim breakout? Because otherwise it seems like you're either not really a believer or it's too late. Secondly, with Odorizzi, and you can answer that uh, or you can ignore it. Secondly, with Odorizzi, uh, when a guy adds a new pitch and then he's you know really good that year, uh, yeah, that makes it more believable that he's going to stay that good. But doesn't that also sort of imply that the gains that he's going to get from that pitch have already been baked into everybody's assessment of him and that? Nobody's really going to be surprised if Odorizzi does what he did last year. So now you really need him to do even better than he did last year, which does that require an, an, another new pitch? Does now does he need another pitch to become a breakout candidate on top of what he already is? I mean, does that make sense? I'm, it's sort of like yeah. hard to distinguish between like the guy who everybody has uh, the same. I mean, what you're really looking for in a breakout or, or I guess in a sleeper, either one, is you're looking for a guy you like more than everybody else. And I'm trying to figure out, how anybody sneaks up on us uh, at this point. Well, okay. So I'm just giving those examples as kind of two guys who who did this breakout thing last year and kind of I was using the new pitch and the swing changes as the reason to buy into those guys maybe earlier last year than other people did. So I wasn't I wasn't trying to imply that those those are the names I would say this year, although I, I, I still tend to think Odorizzi falls into that camp because his ERA was over four, and I think he's a better pitcher than that. FIP would back that up. Um, he he gave up a lot of homers. Part of that's a function because he gives up fly balls. But I, I still think the underlying skill set is really attractive and that people will see a 4-1-3 ERA and, and be scared off. Um, and I'd rather buy the skill set. Um, with Martinez, and you're talking about kind of like the, the, the tipping point, I guess you would say, in terms of where you buy in and when you believe. I mean... I wouldn't blame someone for not believing in J.D. Martinez entering this season. I mean, there are a lot of guys that have really good seasons who I still say, yeah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to buy in on that yet. I want to see them do it again. Um, and who, if you know, if they can do it for, for two seasons and, and I'm just not seeing it, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because of, you know, history of production. But just based off of one season alone. I mean, this is a, this is a guy I'm probably going to be wrong on, but and but it's a good it's a uh, good demonstration of what I'm talking about. Uh, Jake Degrom was absolutely amazing last year, and I didn't buy in at all, kind of the entire year. And I don't in the off season. I kind of said, look, I don't you know begrudge him his 2014 season. He earned like all of it, all of his peripherals back up his terrific season. And I, I'm not trying to argue that in the slightest. What I would, what my concern about is that he's not going to be able to do what he did to get those peripherals and get that overall production again. And I don't know what his true baseline talent is. Now, I mean, obviously it's only been a, a couple starts this year, but he appears to be the same guy and I'm probably going to be wrong. And I'll have to live with that forever. But that again, that's I still think that's that's something to, you know, again, that's goes back to kind of what Brett was talking about in terms of where these guys came from in terms of prospect status and stuff like that. He was somewhat under the radar and he was an athletic guy. So it was something to buy into that all of a sudden something could click for him. But at the same time, 
I don't think it's unreasonable to say, you know, one season doesn't necessarily set his baseline that high, and he could come back from that, even though his peripherals were all very good. I guess I sort of think of it as the same as the the surprise team. I mean, it's the it's the player equivalent of what is the surprise team. And I always feel like if I can pick the surprise team, then it's not a surprising team. I should be surprised if it's a surprise team. And I sort of feel the same way about breakouts, that if it's really a breakout, it is almost inherently unpredictable. Like if we're just talking about a guy whose BABIP is going to regress or something, you know, at this point, we can all kind of pick that out. But my other complaint just about breakouts, other than the fact that I don't know how predictable they are, is that it seems to me that, you know, 50% of the breakout picks I see are players who I would define as having already broken out. And I don't know whether that's because it's just so hard to pick a good breakout that people just kind of default to someone who was already good, but maybe wasn't noticed as much. But like, I'm trying to think of breakout picks I've seen this year. Like, I saw like Garrett Richards or Jake Arietta or someone. And like, to me, those guys broke out last year. Like if you had, if you had picked either of those guys as a breakout pick last year, I would say, nice job. You, you nailed that one. And unless they turn into Cy Young Award winners, they can no longer break out as far as I'm concerned. Do you have a threshold, any of you, for how good a guy can be and still be regarded as a breakout candidate? Is there like a a percentage change like Pakoda defines it? Or is there some rubric you use, any of you? Yeah, I don't think I would define it as a percentage change, you know, based on Pakoda or anything like yeah. that. And I, I think certainly in the examples of Richards or Arietta, yes, those guys have already performed at such a level, whereas, you know, to say that they're breakout candidates this year is sort of ridiculous. But uh, I will say that something I get all the time is I will, you know, mention a former top prospect or a fairly well-known player who has not performed at the level of a Richards or Arietta, but who hasn't, you know, really established himself as a reliable major leaguer yet and whoever i will say this to is uh, wholly unimpressed with my lack of deep knowledge but i mean the reason i'm picking that person you know we all liked them at one point uh, or another for a reason to begin with so like from my perspective do you want me to lie and tell you that i think brian johnson is going to break out or can i tell you the truth and say i still believe in xander bogarts so maybe it's not always the uh, most exciting answer but i do think a fairly good strategy for finding breakout guys you know, is finding a player who is a year or two removed from this sort of illustrious prospect status and uh, having a good reason to have not given up on him yet, even if his name isn't, you know, totally new to everyone. Yeah, and it's all it's all about timing, right? Because if you, um, I know a, a guy who we we talk about a lot on on our podcast, and I think we're all pretty high on is is Carlos Martinez, the Cardinals. And you know, if you had come out and said, "Okay, I think Martinez is going to be a breakout pick for 2013, two years ago when he, you know, kind of first came into, uh, I guess, na- national prominence," uh, you'd you'd have people looking. You'd be like, "Okay, that's that's boring." But now he's been sort of, kind of, uh, he he's been around but not performing at a high level, and it's it's a slightly different proposition now. And so it's really, it's, it's all about, it's really more about managing what the, uh, what the expected value that everyone else has for a player versus the expected value that you have for a player. Um, you can't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's definable by, uh, by any sort of statistical percentage or, or, or anything like that. And, and 
frankly, I mean, it, it, it can come across as lazy, but if there's a player who is, you know, generally regarded as, you know, one of the 100 to 150 best players in the game, but you think he can be an, an elite player, possibly a top 25 player in the game, you know, if, it, if that fits your definition, then that's that's completely fair in, in my book. I mean, not not everyone has to go dig for a Mark Canna. I mean, it's, uh, it's they're just... <laughs> There aren't that many of those guys around. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with the player profile too, as well. Like you just mentioned, Martinez, and there are a lot of questions about whether or not he can start, and you know how how he's going to hold up over the two hundred innings. And if he, you know, you peg him as a starter, and then he goes out there and he, he absolutely shows up for two hundred, you know, quality innings, like that's that's a breakout. Even though, you know, that's a player who you, we've all had on our consciousness, and this. This stuff can extend itself out. I, I think Ben, one of your favorite guys, is Shelby Miller, and that's that's kind of an interesting uh, situation in and of itself because he's going to an organization that typically does do well with pitchers. And you know, if Shelby Miller goes out there and does well, even though he's a very well-known name, like it's it's you know, you look at the profile and you look at what he's done in past production, and it's you know that that would qualify as a breakout for me big time. So. So like a, uh, about a year and a half ago or so, I looked at prospect rankings and guys who had changed prospect rankings uh, from one year to the next to see whether uh, tr- prospect trajectory mattered. So if you had moved up uh, in prospect rankings, were you uh, like if you'd gone from 60 to 40, were you more likely to be better or worse than the guys who were at 39 and 41, and vice versa? If you had dropped from 40 to 60, were you um, actually being overrated or underrated there? And what I found was basically that there was some suggestion that uh, prospect trajectory, uh, that the, re- the the later rankings tended to lag, and that Guys who had dropped were actually worse than their prospect status in the second year, and that guys who uh, improved were actually better than their prospect status in the second year. And Rob Arthur did something a little more technical with the same thing a couple of uh, weeks ago, and kind of found similar results. So uh, a lot, it seems like a lot of breakout stuff um, every year is like you're sort of talking about guys who uh, have um, had maybe a, a little bit of a disappointing trajectory from a higher prospect standpoint. Do you think it's it's it seems like in my in my experience it takes a long time for people to give up on on players that are good prospects i mean delman young was still getting like legitimate jobs for like 5 years and so on and so forth uh is it conceivable that in fact uh we are all operating under the same delusion and that any kind of inefficiency you think you have by getting the disappointing uh x prospect is actually just you falling into the same uh logical fallacies that everybody else is falling into well that's 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 kind of like an age-old question everybody wants to fix a guy who's got like 97 or someone who can hit like delman young like i think that what happens is that a lot of the people making the rankings uh, go in there with the understanding that the development path isn't linear which is something that ben was talking about a little bit earlier so you know they're more likely to keep buxton up there even though he's had he had a very tumultuous 2014 season because they know that there's going to be bumps along the way and it's it's, it's not necessarily always going to be a very smooth ride um so I, I think that me personally i i would rather uh bet on the tools because it's the you know the tools are going to be what carries you into the major leagues and uh even even though that the dev path isn't necessarily always something that's going to be nice and smooth if you kind of came up to me and, and told me that you had a guy who had delman young's profile and he was kind of struggling at the minor leagues i'd still be willing to take a chance on that guy just because you know if he does figure it out it can be a very it can be a very very productive player to make one minor distinction, uh, I think guys tend to hold on to former top prospects, you know, perhaps 
in real life quite frequently. Uh, you know, fan bases, we see these former top prospects tossed around between general managers all the time. But, you know, we're generally coming from a fantasy point of view. And I often see people are pretty quick to want to denigrate top prospects who don't make it. Uh, you know, not everyone, but I do think there's a, a fairly decent uh, subset of the fantasy population who loves to be like, I told you that prospect was awful. I told you you're an idiot for liking prospects. Uh, and to me, I think that's what sort of, you know, creates this this value in a lot of guys who were on a list two, three years ago uh, and who haven't completely fallen off the face of the earth, but who maybe just now are ready to take that step because they were promoted young or they just had to change something. Or like Craig was saying earlier, you know, maybe it's a third pitch and now you have another reason to believe in them. Uh, so I do think there's a little bit of a difference in terms of, you know, when we're usually asked to uh, pick a breakout and what perhaps a casual MLB fan would be looking for in a breakout. Sorry, I would just say that I think I think your point's an interesting one. And I think it's I think it's a definite possibility that people are uh, maybe holding on to these guys too long, um, even though I do. I do preach the same thing that that Mao and, and Ben were talking about in terms of having patience with these guys. But like you're saying, maybe the amount of opportunity that someone like a Delman Young got was too much. But I, I think it makes sense, at least um, in terms of mindset, because you look at someone like uh, Edwin Encarnacion and how long he took to click and how good he's been since it did. And I think, you know, you just get guys uh, you know, if I were a GM, I'd be terrified of that coming back because that looks it looks so bad. No one's going to look at Cincinnati and be like, well, they really did give him enough time. They gave him enough chances. It's not their fault. It looks bad that he exploded into this, you know, like 40 home run hitter in Toronto. And, you know, it's it's the same thing with, you know, other prospects uh, around the league. And I think, you know, they just I, I think it's one of those things where whether it's the best uh, strategy or not, they're, they're more scared of how it's going to look if something goes wrong. So, uh, all right. So to to kind of wrap this up, Xander Bogart's uh, Pakoda projection, which uh, I don't know, maybe maybe you don't like it, but w- just for the sake of conversation, Xander Bogart's Pakoda projection and Martin Prado's Pakoda projection this year are basically the same. Like they're basically projected uh, in the aggregate to be the same ball player, but they're obviously completely different in the public eye. One is uh, an old guy uh, who maybe is seen as having not a ton of like upside or downside, uh, and the other one is you know Xander Bogarts. So, in your experience, which one of these guys is most often undervalued, and which one is most often overvalued? It's it's always the older guy that, especially in a fantasy context, that is uh, that is going to be undervalued. You you get uh, you, you once you get a player past about thirty years old. Uh, you you get people even even in you know even in yearly leagues and stuff and uh, you you get people that are just just off of them they want they want that new shiny toy they want they want Xander Bogarts they want to have the guy who breaks out no one you know the the guys who are you know 32 33 34 years old and are slightly undervalued and perform well are the guys that are you know, are the guys that are important to building, you know, championship teams, whether you're talking about real baseball or, or fantasy baseball and the, uh, the, the guys that are, are young when they, when they look good, they look really good. But a, 
a lot of the times, even the players that end up looking good at the end, it's really hard to predict when they're going to they're when they're going to look good. I mean, I can say I can say with with as as much confidence as I can talk about uh, baseball with that I think Xander Bogarts is going to be a very good baseball player. I can't tell you if Xander Bogarts is going to be a very good baseball player in 2015. I wish I could. I, I am rooting for him to be, but uh, I, I can't do that. All right. So it would be a very effectively wild thing of us not to ask you for breakout picks in the podcast about breakout picks, but we're going to double confound people's expectations and actually ask you for breakout picks and see if you see if you function well when actually put on the spot. We've been asking you what happens, what's your coping strategy when it happens. It's happening right now. So give us a just a just a lightning round and it can't be Carlos Martinez. Ben. I will go with uh, Kevin Gausman, just speaking to Mao's point that development is not linear, and if that slider comes around, I believe he will explode in a good way, not in a bad way. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Brett? I am going to go with uh, Sean Nolan of the A's. Mm. I think everyone's completely forgotten about him, and in that park, he could actually be a pretty decent starter. Okay. Craig? I will say Kenny Vargas of the Twins. How come? Oh, he's really big and strong, <laughs> and hits uh, hits I mean, the I, ball very far. I trust you. Take your word for it. But other people. I just not. thought being a, I thought being assertive was enough. <laughs> and Mal. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Shelby Miller, uh, just because I think that the Braves do well with pitchers, and I think that they're going to figure something out with him, and he's going to take a step forward in 2015. And I will. Uh, I will go with Martin Prado. Uh, that'd be a heck of a breakout ben lindberg do you have a pick uh i was forced to make a breakout pick for the grantland season preview and i just went with the the uh standard sort of former top prospect guy who hasn't put it together brett laurie pick which probably everyone else picked this year and then he did his 12 pitches four strikeouts thing but that was my pick it was an impressive feat. It was. He broke out in a way. <laughs> so tell think, people, uh, tell people how to how to find your podcast and when and where. That's a that's a Ben thing. Yeah, sure. that's definitely that's a, that's a me thing. Right. Well, this is very <laughs> distressing having two Bens on the podcast. I'm it still, is. I'm still not over it. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter at Tino Podcast. Email us at Gmail at Tino Podcast at Gmail dot com. Or find us on Facebook, thanks to a very haphazard page that Mao and I threw together at work one day. Cool. All right. And everyone knows the drill. With our stuff, tomorrow's a listener email show, so we could use some emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, and support our sponsor, the Play Index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. That is it. Thanks, guys. I'll say goodbye at once. Thanks for having us. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Wasn't perfectly synchronized, but not bad. All right. That's it. I think we need a link. Was he running? Yeah, well, I have. Go ahead. (laughs) So good. This is going to be so good, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. How can it not be great? Okay.
Thank you guys. Right. That was, it was fun hearing uh, Ben Lindbergh's tension. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost done, I think. How much time have I done? 45 minutes? All right, good. So, if you don't, six people ain't going to convince me to. <laughs>